1989, I arrived in Chicago for the first time on a road to discovering my new home. 30 years later, I'm leaving Chicago for the desert. I'm Don Hall. Welcome to Peculiar Journeys. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn So get those stakes up higher There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there They're all living the devil may care And I'm just a devil with love to spare So Viva Las Vegas Viva Las Vegas The best teacher is experience and not through someone's distorted point of view from On the Road by Jack Kerouac. When I met Dana, she was living with a hoarder, like a house filled with 47 pairs of bowling shoes, six bicycles, boxes of random weirdness. The guy was super nice, but his house was like a demilitarized zone of shit he seemed unable to part with. Dana resided in a bedroom oasis she had crafted out of the rubble. She landed in this room by way of an abusive relationship, and this friend offered her the room as an escape. She lived rent-free for some time, but was surrounded by clutter and the sort of materialism run amok that after a while can cause scar tissue in the brain, a deal with the psychological devil of a certain subset of manic behavior, if you will. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, Hoarding is the persistent difficulty discarding or parting with possessions, regardless of their actual value. The behavior usually has deleterious effects, emotional, physical, social, financial, and even legal for a hoarder and family members. For those who hoard, the quantity of their collected items sets them apart from other people. Commonly hoarded items may be newspapers, magazines, paper and plastic bags, cardboard boxes, photographs, household supplies, food and clothing. Hoarding can be related to compulsive buying, such as never passing up a bargain, the compulsive accusation of free items, such as collecting flyers, or the compulsive search for perfect or unique items, which may not appear to others as unique, such as an old container. Symptoms and the behavior. Someone who hoards may exhibit the following behaviors, an inability to throw away possessions, severe anxiety when attempting to discard items, great difficulty categorizing or organizing possessions, is indecision about what to keep or where to put things, distress, such as feeling overwhelmed or embarrassed by all their possessions, suspicion of other people touching items, obsessive thoughts and actions, fear of running out of an item or needing in the future, checking the trash for accidentally discarded objects, and functional impairments, including loss of living space, social isolation, family or marital discord, financial difficulties, and health hazards. Now, the reasons for hoarding. According to uh, the association, people hoard because they believe that an item will be useful or valuable in the future, or they feel it has sentimental value, is unique and irreplaceable, or too big a bargain to throw away. They may also consider an item a reminder that will jog their memory, thinking that without it they won't remember an important person or event, or because they can't decide where something belongs, it's just better to keep it.
Matthew flew to Vegas to close on the house on Treasure Avenue, and Dana and Kelly headed out west in his Toyota truck to what Dana eventually called the Edge of Broke Dick. I was left to make sure uh, of all the boxed-up shit and all of the furniture that was, it was effectively packed up into the moving trunk and sent to Nevada. Okay, so once I was alone with it, sitting in the the house filled with boxes i mean corners of the box corners of the house just filled with boxes and tubs and furniture and a basement filled with stuff and a kitchen filled with things and stuff in the backyard once i was alone with it and there was no longer anyone to talk to or kind of i started to realize how much there actually was I knew Matthew was into a lot of things and often couldn't help himself when walking through a Menards or a Home Depot. The cat loves his tools. He did, however, have six electric drills, which seemed, you know, a bit excessive to me, but I'm not a tool guy, so how would I know? He also had several sets of complete sets of dishware, um, more kitchenware than anyone, not a full-on chef, could possibly use. Uh, several different styles of silverware, uh, more lamps, like seven end tables. Who needs seven end tables? Well, a few days before the movers came to snag the stuff, I got a call. Was the estimated inventory the same as reported before? Matthew had guesstimated 168 pieces, including every box, every lamp, every tool, every piece of furniture. So how the hell should I know? That wasn't my job. I had other things I needed to do. So I didn't count the things and I was running out of time. So I asked Matthew and he said, yeah, that was about accurate. Besides, he said, contractually, they can't charge us any more than the $4,500 we were quoted, even if we're over the estimate. Cool, I thought, good bargain. Well, moving day came and the truck was big. I mean, it was a full-sized moving truck. And initially, I thought we should go to the storage space and grab our stuff first. But they wanted to get the house packed as it was the bulk of it. So I relented. These three young guys started about 11 o'clock in the morning. And I watched. I mean, it wasn't my job to move things. And they knew how to do their job. So I worked on some things online. I ate lunch. I made sure they had water. I ordered them pizza. By 5 o'clock, six hours later, they were done with the house. But the kid in charge looked a little distressed. Dude, there's a lot more than 168 pieces already. I mean, how much left? How much is left in the storage unit? As well as a, a 10 by 10 storage unit. It's pretty much filled. Why? I don't know if there's going to be enough room in the truck. He led me to look, and sure enough, 70% of this huge truck was full from the bottom to the top. Now, these kids were good, like Tetris good. There wasn't room for a rat to squeeze in there. Well... I didn't know what else to do, so we headed to the life storage, and I crossed my fingers. I also went into the what the fuck do I do if there isn't enough room mode. My options were pretty limited. One, I could leave some of Dana and my stuff behind. Just leave it. Um, Two, keep the storage unit and come back after the initial move and go get it, right? Or three, fucking hope for the best. By 6.30 p.m., the kid came over to me as I watched some TV on my phone in my car. You need to come over and look at this. 
the truck was packed all the way full. I mean, it was all the way to the edge. There was still our bed, a desk, Dana's bike, and at least 15 more boxes of our stuff not on the truck. You guys have over 400 pieces. I mean, I, I think we can pack the rest on the lift gate, but that means it'll be outside of the truck when we drive it to holding. It, it goes into holding first, not Vegas. Yeah, yeah, we put it in the warehouse, and when a driver with a semi is going in that direction, we put it on their rig, and they bring it west. Okay. Do it. It's, it's going to cost you a lot more. I thought the price was fixed regardless of the amount. If you were within 20% of the initial estimate, that's true. You guys are like 200% over. We have to charge you. I called Matthew and he lost it. I advised him not to lose it on the phone with them. They had all of our shit. They were in the power position. I mean, I'd heard horror stories of people not seeing their furniture for months with no recourse. And that simply wouldn't do. At the end of the day, he showed me the inventory, 10 pages of inventory, and informed me that the initial quota for $4,500 was going to be balanced with another $4,500, that this whole move was going to cost $9,000 rather than $4,500. Now, given the deal we'd made with Matthew that he was pretty much going to cover the move, I didn't feel any personal stake in that, but that was a lot more, and it was intense. Well, two days later, after I confirmed that our belongings would be leaving for Vegas, around the same time I was leaving Chicago, I got a call from the owner of the company. I had to come get our shit out of their warehouse. They were not going to be taking it to Nevada. Matthew had called, threatened to not pay, and they were cutting our shit loose. So I went to the the warehouse, and in the end, after some sweet talking and some self-deprecation and some throwing my hands in the air and said, what am I supposed to do? Take everything, you know, on my Prius, in my Prius, one piece at a time. I had one idea that if they absolutely insisted that I take all the stuff out, is that I was going to have to rent a full-size truck, bigger, obviously, than the one they had used because I couldn't load it in, get everything loaded in, drive to Vegas, drop it off, drive that truck back to Chicago, get my Prius, drive back to Vegas. This was both financially untenable and, oh my God, what the fuck? In the end, they had me sign a document guaranteeing I would be responsible for, for payment should Matthew refuse, and they agreed to bring it to the desert desert. I also dropped a thousand dollars additional deposit to guarantee that this would happen.
take a moment and solicit you briefly. Peculiar Journeys is a labor of love in that I labor over it because I love doing it. Now, if you're a regular listener, you can help out by going on Apple Podcasts and posting a rating and review, sharing the episodes with friends whom you think might dig it, putting it on social media, in your blog, whatever, or even better. Go over to my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys and give me a do- gifting me a dollar a month to help support what I'm doing financially. I mean, it's like public radio. I'm going to keep writing and recording stories, and you can always get it for free. I'm going to be mining the world for stories, as you can hear in previous seasons. So I'm going to keep doing it regardless. But your small effort to push this podcast forward into the sea of podcasts is genuinely appreciated. place was a four-bedroom house with one of the four being a mother-in-law apartment. It's the first time I'd ever heard that term, but effectively a mother-in-law apartment is a one-bedroom apartment attached to the west side of the building, completely set apart, one door from the outside. Um, it had a bathroom, it had a kitchen, and we had decided that Dana and I would set up in the master bedroom in the main house. Both Matthew and Kelly would get the other two Um, We'd share that public space. And the mother-in-law would be retrofitted as a guest room, which is super sexy for our our friends and neighbors. And then we would take the main kitchen area um, and make it a sound studio, which sounded really fun. Now, there are two things that came into conflict with this plan. First, our perception of the size of the place had expanded in our imaginations. Between the time we saw it and made the bid on it and bought it and the time we moved into it, it had somehow gotten much bigger in our minds than it actually was in reality. Second, Matthew had more stuff than this house could ever hold, and he was loath to part with almost any of it. Six boxes filled with nothing but empty boxes, enough tools to fill a hardware store. While Dana and I filled our closet with room to spare, he had more clothing than any three people could possibly need. I casually counted 24 pairs of almost identical jeans hanging in his closet one day. Well, Dana set up our bedroom, but was distracted and unhappy. When we were in Chicago, she'd completely blown off my birthday um, with the promise that we'd do something special once in Vegas. Now, I understand that that's kind of a silly thing. But my mom was always big about birthdays, and I am a firm believer that birthdays are the one holiday that's yours. And so, and we'd never kind of ignored one of our birthdays since we'd been married. So it was unusual that she basically punted my birthday almost completely, and it hurt my feelings. But we were going to do something in Vegas, 
And so that I was like, all right, that's good, because her birthday was in, in February, and so was Matthew. So we we're going to do a big three thing. But that wasn't going to happen. I didn't know that. I couldn't figure out what her problem was. And between being the communication bridge between she and Matthew, they were avoiding each other in these tight quarters and both used me as the go-between. And trying to get everything under control with the move, my patience was wearing thin. One night, using a really thoughtful birthday present from Joe Janes, um, he got us tickets to see a show. We went to see Absinthe at Caesar's Palace, which was amazing, by the way. Sort of like if burlesque and Cirque du Soleil had a really filthy-mouthed baby. It is a super good show, and I know more about it as, as than I did at the time. But before we went in to see the show, we started talking, and I kind of lost it before we went in. Sitting in a bar in the courtyard of Caesar's Palace, we argued, and I was fucking furious. I couldn't contain how angry I was. No matter how hard I tried to kind of tamp it down and be reasonable, I couldn't. And I was fucking tired. And then I saw something in Dana's eyes that clicked one of those, oh, lights on. Now, Dana had a fascination with hoarders. She'd watched in horror the reality TV shows about them. She read up on the psychology of them. She'd been smothered in a home for a few years surrounded by stuff, and she was drowning in this new house with all of the clutter and piles of tools and mail and boxes and a porch filled with more and the mother-in-law apartment filled to the top with more stuff, more boxes, more tools. My wife was struggling for her own sense of sanity and I was too busy to notice. I was too focused on my birthday than on her well-being. So I changed the plan. Okay, we would move out of the bedroom. We would clear out the mother-in-law and move in there. Well, the plus was it gave us some married people privacy, which is kind of cool. And it removed Dana from the mountain of stuff she was kind of crippled under. Well, this suggestion did not go over well. Dana loved the idea. Matthew did not. It meant that all of the crap Matthew had stored in there had to find another place to live. And there was a lot of it. We argued. I wasn't going to be swayed as my wife's peace of mind was in danger. And this was the best option other than just simply moving out altogether and spending money we didn't really have to do it. The NYU Medical Center defines a passive-aggressive individual as someone who may appear to comply or act appropriately, but actually behaves negatively and passively resists. A passive-aggressive relationship can occur in romantic partnership, family, social circles, or even at the workplace. Passive-aggressive passive actions can range from the relatively mild, such as making excuses for not following through, to the very serious, such as sabotaging someone's well-being and success. Most chronically passive-aggressive individuals have four common characteristics. They're unreasonable to deal with. They're uncomfortable to experience. They rarely express their hostility directly, and they repeat their subterfuge behavior over time. Likewise, Soren Kierkegaard, the famous Danish philosopher, once said that the tyrant dies and his rule is over. The martyr dies and his rule begins. 
This exactly defines the complex disorder of a martyr. A martyr complex is present when a person routinely emphasizes, exaggerates, and creates a negative experience in order to to place blame, guilt, and sorrow on another person. I'm not going to get into it, but let's just say that things got ugly for a week or so. We moved into the one bedroom, still smaller than than we wanted. It worked. It worked out fine. I discovered that the best approach to a passive-aggressive martyr-slash-hoarder was to ignore the bait, not listen to the complaints, not engage in the anger. As my sister would say, create some boundaries and stick to them. I had to. Dana and I were strangers in a strange new land. We came here to experience all the fun of Las Vegas, not deal in psychodrama over our living space. We also had to get jobs. Peculiar Journeys is a storytelling podcast. For previous seasons, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or online at donhall.vegas slash podcast. To support Peculiar Journeys, please review the show on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends or on social media, or go to patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys and become a VIP patron by tossing me a few bucks. Thanks for listening.